I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. glad that you are here on this beautiful Lord's Day. It's rainy and soggy outside, but, uh, but praise God, uh, we're here to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, so doesn't matter what it's like, we, uh, we have the honor and privilege of coming together to worship our great God and Savior Jesus Christ today. If you're a guest, know we're glad you're worshiping with us. Hope you'll take time to fill out the side of the bulletin and, uh, and tear that off and tell us a little bit about yourself. You can drop that in the offering plate as it's passed before you here in just a little bit so we can learn more about you and hopefully have an opportunity to tell you a little bit more about who we are here as a church family. Right now, we're going to take a moment to greet each other. If you see someone you don't recognize, go say good morning, and we're going to keep worshiping together here in just a moment.
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. Even though I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near. I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I
I will sing of my Redeemer and his heavenly love to me. He from death to life hath brought me, Son of God, with him to be. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt and made me free. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for the study, for letting us be able to come to church and learn about you and bless the tidings and offerings to further your kingdom. Amen.
invite the kids to come down here and have a seat. Well, good morning, boys and girls. How is everybody? Good, you're good. Hey, does anybody know what Wednesday is? It's a long way from now, right? What, what's Wednesday? Valentine's Day, that's right. Do you, get, do you guys have, a, anybody got a Valentine? You got a Valentine? Uh, oh, do you? Well, uh, I see, parents. I hope you're paying attention. Okay, okay. We make hearts for Valentine's, that's right. Well, Valentine's Day is a way for, for companies to make a lot of money off of, off of men. Um, it's a great way for husbands to, and, and, and fellows to show how much they love their wives and their, and their girlfriends and, and send, send cards to people that they love. That's right. It's really just a, just a fun day to talk about what love is. Now, we talk about love all the time. We talk about love in the Bible a lot, right? Uh, John 3.16. Does anybody know what John 3.16 says? For God so... You just fill in the blank. For God so... Love the world. So we know that love was the motivation that God had for sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. And we know how Jesus showed his love for us. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, meaning while we were still, while we were still in a mess, God loved us. Jesus loves us because of who he is. And so while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because of his great love. And so I like to remember Valentine's Day as much as I like to tell Miss Heather how much I love her and, 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 and maybe do something nice to, to show her that. Uh, one of the things Valentine's Day helps me do is, is if I send my wife roses, which men should do on Valentine's Day, if I send my wife roses, can you just go out in the field and pluck a handful of roses? Can you do that? Can you? You better not. Because if you go pick a handful of roses, you know what your hand's going to be full of? Thorns. Roses are pretty flowers, but if you grab the stalk of a rose that's not been trimmed up, it's covered with lots and lots of sharp thorns. And so as pretty as roses are, what's holding the rose up is something that's, that's, that could hurt you really bad if you grabbed a hold of a stalk of a rose. And so I like to remember that, that that helps me remember how much Jesus loves me. When I think about a rose, it's something that's very pretty. It's something that, that, I, that I enjoy. They smell good, and I know my wife enjoys them, but under, understanding that what makes a rose a rose is, is also those sharp thorns that, that are on it. So I always remember Jesus wearing the thorny crown when he was crucified, shedding his blood so that I could be forgiven. And so Valentine's Day is a great way for me to, for me to remember what Jesus did for us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for showing your love to us, Lord, uh, that, that it didn't take a holiday for you to say that you loved us, Lord. It didn't take a, a special occasion, Lord. Uh, the scripture says that you love the world, and because you love the world, you sent your one and only Son that we might be forgiven through him and have eternal life. Father, I pray these boys and girls would understand that even as they exchange hearts and candy and all that fun stuff on Wednesday, that there's a greater love that I hope that they'll experience one day. Uh, the love that you have for them, and the, the saving love that Jesus extends to them, Lord. Thank you for these guys. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, as we sing. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story is pleasant to repeat. What seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell 
the story will be my fame. Glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing a new, new song, twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Please remain standing as we share God's word together this morning from Jeremiah, the second chapter. Jeremiah chapter 2, I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. The word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children, I will contend. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us and instructs us. Lord, may we all be men and women who follow after truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. If you've been following along in the uh, Bible reading plan that we've been doing, then you have gotten this week into some of the more interesting passages from the book of Exodus. And, and somebody said uh, on the online forum this week that, that the, um, the book of Exodus there, the, the law section in the book of Exodus is where New Year's resolutions go to, go to die when it comes to, uh, comes to reading through the scripture over the course of a year. Hopefully you have gotten through. We're hopeful that the sections have been small enough that you've been able to, to digest some of what has been uh, said in that passage, uh, in those passages. But I had a, a wonderful testimony shared with me a couple of weeks ago of someone who has just really embraced the opportunity to sit down and, and read through the Bible together as a church family. And, uh, and I asked Melissa if she'd come and share this morning just a little bit of that excitement that she had. Uh, she's nervous, so uh, Melissa, come on up here and share a little bit about, uh, about how God's working in your heart in the, uh, in the Scripture reading. Okay, like you said, I am nervous. Um, speaking to more than three people is scary. Um, just to kind of start it off, to be honest, my personal devotion was non-existent for a long time. I can give you all the excuses that I told myself, but they were just that. They were excuses. Um, December, Brian talked about reading the Bible through in a year. And I thought, okay, that's kind of cool. Uh, Christmas will be a little different than we're used to, but I thought that's neat. So January, I thought, okay, here we go. And sadly, it was still just kind of a checklist at the beginning. I knew the stories. You know, I know the beginning. I know this. And um, then one day I was sitting in carpool line, and uh, my daughter likes to get picked up early, so that means a long wait. And I was sitting there and I thought, well, I'll just do my reading. And I've got an app where it'll actually read it to you. So I went in, went to the chapter I was at, and uh, clicked play. 
leaned back, closed my eyes, and I listened. I really listened. And it awoke something inside of me that I had put to sleep for so long. And when it talks about a thirst for the word, it is a thirst. I cannot get enough right now. Mornings, night, every time in my, I'm in my car, I am on the next, what am, what, where are we going next? Where are we going next? I was in my car when we were at Psalms 19 and I was just hooping and hollering in my car and I don't know what I looked like and I didn't care. It was so exciting. It's just, it was getting so much in my soul that I had been missing for so long that now my problem is getting too far ahead. So I go back and I reread chapters and I re-listen to it and you know, he was, he was talking about the specificity of the temple, and that's cool to me. God specifically told Moses how he wanted it built, what he wanted it to look like. That, to me, is amazing. And I just cannot wait for more specificity that he's going to have speaking to me throughout this. And I am excited. I, I just I cannot wait. Right now, I'm like, okay, I'm waiting to get in the next book, but y'all aren't there yet, so I've got to keep reading Exodus. You know, and I pick up things every single time that I didn't get before. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And you know what happens when you start talking about something you love? You lose all nerves about it completely. Um, and so uh, I recognize that for some folks in the room that, that this may be the very first time in a very long time that you've, you've actually had a set, a set apart time each day of, of Bible reading. And, uh, and I promise that if that will become a habit, uh, just like a balanced and healthy diet for the, the, the physical food that you eat, that that, uh, that, that, that spiritual food that you take in will, uh, will actually make a difference in your life. And so uh, thank you, Melissa, for sharing that uh, with us this morning. You know, as we have been working through the book of Jeremiah, one of the great challenges that we face as Christian readers when we encounter the prophets is that we don't know what to do with them. Uh, if, you are, if you've ever read through any of the prophetic books, then, then you know that it can be a challenge, that there's, there's a lot of stuff there that is hard to process, it's hard to get through, it's hard to understand, and it's, it's hard to apply. Uh, so, so for Christian readers who read the prophets, we're not sure what to do. You know, sometimes we look to the New Testament for references to the prophets, and we major on those things. So, so we, we're all about messianic prophecies in the prophets, right? You know, we can go through, we, uh, every Christmas, every Easter, we can go back and hit those highlight points. You know, we love the messianic prophecies of the book of Isaiah, but how many of us, if we're honest, can tell you what else is in Isaiah other than the passage on the suffering servant? The reality is, is we don't know what to do with the, the prophets. When we get to Jeremiah, we, we go to the New Covenant. And we can, we're all about the New Covenant because we're New Covenant believers. And then we run as quickly as we can out of Jeremiah to the Lord's Supper where Jesus implemented the New Covenant. And we can talk about that a lot. Sometimes we get to these prophetic books and we sort of glaze over because there tends to be perhaps a lot of repetition. Uh, maybe you're like me and, and I just don't like poetry. And so if you're a poetic person, God bless you. I am thankful that there are people like you out there. I just am not a poetry guy. And so when I was in high school and we had to read the, the, you know, all the Odyssey and Iliads and Homers, and, and when I was in high school, Homer was a Simpson. I had no idea that he had something else. Uh, so reading that stuff is tough. Uh, some folks love the Psalms, and, and I, I'm not a psalm guy because it's poetry, and, and I, I like just the prose and, and, and the stories and those sort of things. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for those of you that are the opposite mind that I am, you know, right brain, left brain, whichever it is, the, the more artistically inclined. I'm grateful for y'all, but just give me a good novel, a good story, and, and I'm good with that. So, so for me, the prophets are sometimes hard because it's, it's poetry. Um, so if you struggle... In reading through books like Jeremiah and Isaiah, I found this to be a, a helpful thing to remember. You're reading in a few pages of text the summary of an entire lifetime of ministry. So if you look at Jeremiah and say it's overwhelming, well remember that the book of Jeremiah covers 40 years of prophetic ministry. And so you're trying to summarize everything the guy said in the matter of a few pages of Scripture. And I, I got to thinking about what my prophetic book would look like if someone 
decided to take all the outlines and all the transcripts of all the sermons that I've preached and compile them into a book. And then I realized that some of you guys have a hard enough enough time sitting through one sermon. I can't imagine what you might do if you had to read through a whole book of them. That being said, just because it's hard reading doesn't mean that it isn't worthwhile reading. And as Christian readers, we don't get to read the prophets with a kind of chronological snobbery. What do I mean by that? We don't get to look at the prophets and, and, and cast judgment on the Israelites because they couldn't get it right. Instead, we need to look to the prophetic voice of the Old Testament, look for the snares, the traps, the pitfalls that the Israelites, the people of God, tripped up in, and then carefully examine our lives to see if there are similar traps that have been set for us. One thing we certainly know, we struggle and fight against the very same enemy that the Israelites struggled and fought against in their day. And it's safe to say that many of the same tactics that he used against the people of God that long ago, 3,000 years ago, are the same tactics and strategies that he uses against us today. And so we would be wise to pay attention to the warnings that are contained within the words of the prophets and then look for ways to apply them to our lives. One other caution as we begin to get into some of these oracles and sermons of Jeremiah is that we need to make sure that we understand that Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms of, of the nation of Israel, were both religious communities as well as political states. They were theocracies in that, in that God, was, God had given them the government that they were to utilize. At the same time, they were the people of God. This is one of the biggest challenges for me as I, incur, as, as I encounter the Old Testament. Because in the New Covenant, we find that our allegiances lie beyond national boundaries. Folks, they're going to be folks in heaven that you are the citizens, the same citizens of the same kingdom that don't look or speak anything like you today. There will be people in heaven who are from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and you have more in common with those. Listen to me. You have more in common with those people than you have of people who wave an American flag. That's not an insult against our nation. I am a proud patriot. But that is the reality. When we get to heaven, you're not going to be identified as an American, as a Mexican, as a Canadian, as a Filipino, as a Frenchman. You're not going to be identified as those things. You will be identified as what? A child of God. You'll be identified as a child of God. That's the reality. I love my country. I strive to be a good citizen. It's almost tax time. Hopefully you're all going to be good citizens. But I am first a citizen of God's kingdom, which goes beyond national boundaries. And so I have to fight against jumping to a nationalist interpretation of the prophetic books. It's not to say there aren't times that we can't make those comparisons, but that's not the first place that we go. When Jeremiah challenges the nation, for us he's challenging the church, not the United States of America. We have to make that application first. Now if there are ways and places that we can jump to a national application, we should. But first and foremost, he's he's challenging the people of God. That's who we are, the people of God. Now, when we do that, we recognize that the church isn't a political state, right? We're not. We're not supposed to be. We can't be. One of the problems in the United States is that the church has given just a little too much to the government. How do we know? Because the greatest threat against us in our country is what? That tax-exempt status. And we'll do lots of things to protect that tax-exempt status. We won't speak out on some things because we want to make sure our tax-exempt status is protected. And I'm going to be honest with you, God doesn't care if we have a tax-exempt status or not. It doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, we should be paying taxes that we are responsible for paying. And so when the prophet Jeremiah speaks against Judah, we need to make sure that we apply it to the people of God not some nation somewhere that, that, that exists or has existed. That being said, when we get to chapter 2 of the book of Jeremiah, we encounter what has been called the summary statement of the book. If you understand chapter 2, then you can really begin to grasp the big ideas that shape the rest of the book. So let's dive into this and see what we can uncover. As we look at chapter 2, one thing that jumps out to me immediately is that the Lord is considering the obedience of the people, not just during the lifetime of those represented in Jeremiah's generation, but he looks at the devotion and obedience from one generation to the next. God's perspective is so much broader than just what our perspective is. 
God looks at the people and he considers them from generation to generation to generation. We're so focused on the here and now, we can't see past the end of our timelines. And God looks at the generations and sees them in this continuum. And so what does he do? God begins in the prophet Jeremiah's first oracle here, this first sermon, by reminding the people about the devotion of their youth. Now he's not talking about how well behaved the current Israelites were in children's church. He's not talking about how much they thrived in youth group, how they went to camp and came back excited about what they experienced in camp. That's not what he's talking about. When he says, I remember the devotion of your youth, he's not talking about the current generation's devotion when they were children. And as they've gotten old, they've just kind of slipped away. That's not what he's talking about. The Lord here is hearkening back to a time when the nation as a whole was devoted to him. If you know the history then you know the nation of Israel certainly struggled with sin and disobedience. There was never really a time in Israel's history where they were were going on all the cylinders, right? It seems like they were constantly fighting and struggling against some sort of sin, some sort of rebellion, some sort of disobedience. But God is specifically looking to a time in the nation's history when the nation was willing to follow Moses out of Egypt into the wilderness because Moses came and says, this is what the Lord I am has called us to do. We are to leave the nation of Israel and go to a land that they didn't know about yet. They hadn't seen it yet. It wasn't something, it wasn't like they got online looking at real estate sites and saying, this looks like a good promised land for us to move into. That didn't exist. They had to step out on faith, trusting that they were going in the direction that God wanted them to go. This is where the Lord is thinking back to. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me into the wilderness to a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. Again, it's not a call of perfection here, but it is a call to a time when the nation was obedient. They followed, they listened, they did what God asked them to do. So they followed him into the wilderness, and there at Mount Sinai, what happened? Well, they entered into a covenant with God. They entered into a covenant with the Lord. We call that the the law. Well, the Lord, what does he compare it to? A marriage covenant. You entered into marriage with me. This is the the language that God is using here, is they, they enter into this marriage covenant. Well, let's fast forward a thousand years, because that's how long it took to get from Sinai to Jeremiah. A thousand years. The northern kingdom of Israel has been vanquished because of what? Their wholesale abandonment of the Lord. They completely abandoned Yahweh and turned to idol worship. The southern kingdom of Judah, where Jeremiah is, is on the verge of being destroyed by the Babylonians because of what? Wholesale abandonment of the worship of of the Lord and turning to empty, dead idols. And I love what the Lord asks of the people. This, this question, I just kept reading this question over and over and over again because it was such a probing question. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? Just let that settle in for a minute. What wrong did your fathers find in me? If this was a marriage as the Lord has, has likened it to, this marriage covenant What imperfection did they find in the absolute embodiment of perfection? Now, we understand divorce today. We have a very divorce-minded culture. If we were to rank issues today, divorce is is way on down the list than where it once was. We we have a a culture that's very minded towards divorce, but, but that's a problem in Jeremiah's day. And here, the Lord has likened his relationship to Israel as a marriage covenant. He says, what did you find wrong? As I sit with couples who struggle in marriage troubles, it's one of those questions I have to ask. What, what exactly is so bad that you would be willing to, to put this aside? What is so bad that you would be willing to, to break a vow? What is so bad and here the Lord asked that question what did they find that was so wrong you you have perfection that you were in a covenant relationship with and you would abandon this perfection to go after a worthless dead empty idol what is so wrong that you would turn 
against that? Well, the obvious answer goes unspoken here, but the answer simply is this. They love their sin, and they love their rebellion far more than they love their relationship with the Lord. And so what did they do? Well, they abandoned Yahweh. They, they abandoned the covenant. They turned their backs on the Lord. The rebuke continues. It's not just a wholesale rebuke of the nation. He gets specifically to the leaders, and he says very simply that the leaders have stopped seeking the Lord. They've stopped seeking the Lord. Well, who are the leaders seeking if they're not seeking the Lord? If you're supposed to be the leader of, of the people of God, who should you be seeking? You ought to be seeking the Lord. Remember we talked about in chapter 1 how Jeremiah saw the vision of the almond branch and the almond was a word play because it was a way of God saying, I'm going to watch after my word to make sure that it accomplishes what it's intended to accomplish. Well, the people of God, the, the leaders of the people of God should be going after the word of God. It should be something that they are passionate, that they are pursuing, that they are looking after. And Jeremiah's rebuke here simply says that they've stopped. The leaders, the shepherds, the prophets, they've all stopped. Seeking after the Lord. And so this rebuke of the people of God is a rebuke that crosses a span of time of around a thousand years. Now, that doesn't mean that every generation is at the mercy of previous generations. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not fatalistic in that. You know, if you, if you came from a bad home, it doesn't mean that you're going to be wrecked. Okay? Now, you can be. That's, it's likely, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be wrecked. I love the story of Ben Carson. Ben Carson is, is, is somebody who came from a, a terrible, terrible, terrible situation in his home. Grew up in a bad neighborhood, but where's he at now? He's sitting as a, as a, as a cabinet secretary for the President of the United States. He's not a victim of his, of his previous generation. You see, every generation has to make its own choices and face the consequences of its own sin and rebellion. Every generation has to make its own choices and face the consequences of its own sin and rebellion. But this is a challenge to us because we are a people who are so focused on the here and now. We don't like to consider those who've gone before us. And we certainly don't like to think about those who are coming after us. We're focused only on us and our generation. Yet as we think about the Lord's perspective, his vision is so much greater than our vision. So how do we hear the prophet today? Right? So, so we know what Jeremiah's number one complaint is. The, the theme of his preaching is, is given to us here in chapter 2. How do we hear this prophet today? Well, first of all, we need to recognize that we are the recipients of previous generations' good and bad decisions about the things of God, but we don't have to follow them. Folks, we are, we are the beneficiaries of a whole lot of bad ideas that have been passed down from generation to generation. If it weren't for 500 years ago, 501 years ago, men like Martin Luther saying, we're not going to continue down this road, who knows where we would be today. But that doesn't mean that Martin Luther and the Reformers fixed everything. The last 100 to 200 years, we've seen lots of bad ideas be, pro be promulgated about the kingdom of God. And we deal with that today. Today, we are watching biblical Christianity be undermined by all sorts of false doctrines, bad theology, heretical gospels. And what did Paul say? If anybody preaches a gospel contrary to the right gospel, they need to be condemned. Yet, today, we've tolerated that sort of, that sort of false teaching. We've, in many times, embraced it. And we honestly don't know what the long-term consequences are going to be. Who knows what the long-term consequences of the prosperity gospel are going to be? Who knows? What are the, the multi-generational consequences of that? We're, we're starting to get into the second generation of the Word Faith Movement. That's all the folks that are on TV that name it, claim it gospel. We're starting to get into the second generation. What happens when we get into the third, the fourth, the fifth generation of this false teaching? What happens? What's it going to look like? Today we are reaping the benefits, or should I say consequences, of liberal theology. Liberalism came out really in force a couple of hundred years ago. It started in Europe, crossed the pond, and now we are the people who are dealing with the consequences of it. And in the grand scheme of history, liberalism is relatively young. But what has liberal theology done? Well, I will say this, it's given birth to many of the ills of our culture today. Well, how so? Because what does liberal theology do? 
it begins by undermining the authority of Scripture. When you undermine the authority of Scripture, then you, by extension, undermine the authority of God. And what did the book of Judges say when there was no king in Israel? Everybody did as they pleased. You see, when you eliminate the the source of ultimate authority, people don't feel that they answer to anyone any longer. The people do as they please. And we are seeing what that looks like worked out every day in your workplaces and in your schools. You're seeing what it looks like. Now, what's the good news? Look at verse 9. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. What does that mean? Well, just because the nation was a mess didn't mean that God had washed his hands of the thing. Wouldn't you? I mean, how tempting would that be to just wash your hands of the mess and go start over again? He actually told Moses he was ready to do that, and Moses talked him out of it. I'll just wash my hands of this. I'm through with this. I'll start something somewhere else with a new people, and we'll figure this out in a different way. Instead, the Lord looks at the people and says, I'm going to contend with you, and I'm going to contend with your children's children. I'm not through with you yet. I'm not giving up on you yet. I'm not washing my hands and walking away. Just because the people were a mess didn't mean that God was giving up on them. And just because the generations preceding Jeremiah were a disaster, what did God do? Well, we know he preserved a remnant of righteous people. They were sent into exile, and they returned back to the promised land to rebuild. And lo and behold, what did God do with that remnant? That remnant of the people of God. Well, we have a Messiah named Jesus who came out of that remnant of the people of God. Out of that remnant, God provided the ultimate solution to our greatest problems. You know, today we look at our lost generation, those 20-somethings who were disillusioned by their perception of the faith within the church. I take great hope in the fact that God is still contending with them in the same way that he's still contending with us. If you're here today, you need to know if you're a follower of Jesus, he's not giving up on you yet. He's still contending with you, and if you've got a child who's in that 20-something window who maybe has gone a little bit astray, the good news is this, is God's not finished with them yet. God is still contending with us. He still wants us to be where he needs us to be. God wants us to clean our house. You may say, I need to clean my house. I'm not talking about your your house at home. I'm talking about the house of God. God wants us to clean our house. He wants us to keep his house clean. He wants us to make sure that we're where we should be. He wants us to continue to seek his face. Where is the Lord? Where is he at? What does he want from us? What are his expectations from us? What if we as the people of God said, we're going to do it God's way or no way? We're going to seek his face and pursue him and pursue righteousness and honor him with our lives and be a blessing to the community around us. We're going to do it his way as he contends with us. But here's the good news. We're blessed. Because A, we've been given the perfect revelation of God in his word. Keeps our hearts focused and our hands to the plow. But B, we have the Holy Spirit as a down payment for our salvation and the enforcer of our conviction and our conscience. When we see God contending with us, well, that's how the Holy Spirit's working with us challenging us, holding us accountable, burdening our, burdening our souls with, with those, ever had those burdens? Those burdens for that neighbor, the burdens for that coworker, the burdens for your children? That's, that's coming from the Holy Spirit working in you and contending with you. That's where that's coming from, and we are blessed today. We're a blessed people that we have that available to us. The reality is that not everybody has it available because there's still folks who refuse to, who refuse to give their life to Jesus who refuse to, to pursue Jesus, who, for, who refuse to lay down their sin and follow Jesus. I'll give you an opportunity today to do that in just a moment. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Father, thank you for the time to come together today. Thank you for the blessing that we have of the Scripture in its entirety, Lord, and the, the truth that the Holy Spirit lives in, inside of each one of us who are in Christ, Lord. I pray for those today who are not followers of Jesus, that today they would take the step of faith to follow Christ, Lord. And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that we would not 
abandon the, the, our, our faith in you, Lord, to pursue empty and dead idols, that, that we would not pursue worthless things and ourselves become worthless. Father, we know that, that revival begins not in the culture, but revival begins with God's people. Lord, we know that, that repentance begins not in a wholesale repentance of the culture, but with God's people turning their back on sin and putting their faith and trust in Christ and, and seeking him and being in a right relationship with him. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to hear the prophet today. Help us to hear the prophet today, to, to, to strive for truth today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and have a time of invitation. If you'd like to come and pray, you're welcome to. Um, so let's stand together and sing. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. You guys be seated for a few moments. Go sit down. You guys get a special bargain today. You've already heard one sermon, but I invited a, a guest a guest preacher to come and share with us today. So, uh, so you may know him. His name is Chris. Uh, you guys, uh, this is Chris Patton. Uh, he belongs to Curtis and Ann. He's a pastor over at Southside. And uh, ask Chris to come and share a little bit as we celebrate Curtis and Ann's 15th anniversary here at Northside. Uh, 55 years in ministry. Uh, so, but 15 here, and so, uh, so Chris, uh, say whatever you need to say about them. Well, first of all, uh, thanks, Brian, for having me, and I'll just tell you guys, y'all got an amazing uh, preacher here in Brian, so uh, he is just fantastic, and uh, so thank you for that great word. What is, that was very uh, inspiring, and uh, again, thank you for having me. This is a real honor to be here. I hear so much about how amazing all of you are, and, uh, but I do just want to say a couple things. Um, about the two people that, and, and not everybody can say this, right? Not everybody can say that their heroes in life are their parents, but I can say that my two are sitting right down here. And uh, really, when I think about, yeah. When I think about, I was actually last night, I was at an event at the uh, Delta Flight Museum, and it reminded me of my dad working at Delta for uh, close to 40 years and just. Uh, waking up at, I don't know, 4.30 every morning to, to go in to go to work to provide for us, my mom teaching, and just when I think about my parents and, and the godly influence that they've had on my life and on our my brother and sister and our family, um, it truly, whenever I go through difficult times, I've got two teenage uh, sons, myself, um, that are becoming men, and uh, you know, it's, when I think about going through those difficult times in my marriage and just family life, I think back to the faithfulness of God in their marriage and in their parenting and the parable of the talents when Jesus talks about that uh, the fact that there was the the one servant who made the most of the opportunity that he had with his talents and he said about that person well done my good and faithful servant and, and that's the thing I would say about you mom and dad is well done you um, the race is not over um, we hope for not a very long time. <laughs> I have to be careful because you kind of get into, you know, uh, doing, this is not, no funeral. Um, this is a celebration. And um, yeah, so, but I just want you to know how much I love you. I, all these people I know love you, but for, for me and Kurt and Debbie, my, my brother and sister, um, just how grateful we are for the example for all these years that you have invested and, and that you've been faithful and, and for those of you who don't know, um, Dad worked um, at Delta full-time, and, and he and Mom have always been in ministry part-time. And so our Sundays were literally spent um, in church and on Wednesday nights in church. And so I spent hours uh, in church and just through choir practices and different times. And then there was a, a long stint growing up for me that we were in a church, churches in Griffin. So we would go over for the whole day. And my mom would make a crock pot of food, and they would have a room for us, and we would spend the whole day 
at church. And so just thinking, having that full-time job all during the week, and then on the weekends, giving your life to ministry. And so I've been in ministry now for 25 years, and in large part because of your example, and your model, and your faithfulness, and your love, and your belief in me. And, uh, and I just, each and every day, I'm grateful for you. And I'm glad I get this privilege again. Brian, thank you for allowing me to do this. This is such an honor and a gift to me to get to celebrate with you 15 years in ministry. And uh, I'm just, I love you guys so much. I, I am grateful, and, and I know my boys are look, look see your, your marriage and the legacy that you are um, not leaving behind, but that you have built. And it's an amazing legacy. And so you deserve to be honored and to be celebrated today um, for, yeah, 50-plus years of, of ministry, but also of doing life well and being faithful to God and obedient to God's call on your life. So I love you so much. And again, Brian, it's an honor. Thank you. Curtis Ann, y'all come up here, have a seat for just a second. Uh, personnel team at Northside has a gift for Curtis and Ann. They wanted to do more, but I wouldn't let them because I didn't want to think it was a going away gift. Uh, and so, so uh, we've got uh, just a, um, an opportunity for you guys to go enjoy one of your favorite places in the world, a few nights uh, at, at that place with, with, a, with a couple of gas cars to get you there. And so, uh, and we're going to give you an extra weekend to go and enjoy that. And so, uh, so... So I'll give that to you guys. Uh, I can honestly say I've never had the privilege of working together with somebody as long as I have with, with Curtis and Ann. They were here uh, when we first got here. I remember the very first uh, Saturday that I came to noon and we sat down at Chick-fil-A and we talked shop and talked about what ministry looked like, and I knew immediately that this was, uh, this was a couple that I wanted to have a relationship with and get to know better and, and spend time with. And so we've been blessed uh, just as a family. Uh, I know Heather and I echo what Chris say, said. Uh, their marriage is, is exemplary. Um, I remember going to your 50th wedding anniversary celebration over at OEM uh, not long ago. And, and your marriage is exemplary. And, and everybody, you need to look at this couple. When, you're look, when you say, I want to model my life after somebody, I want to model my marriage after somebody, come sit down and talk with these folks. Um, they like Cracker Barrel and La Perilla and... and <laughs> They'll be glad to let you buy them dinner to sit down and talk with them. Um, in all seriousness, uh, I love you guys. I told Curtis when I first started working with him, he was the manliest music minister that I had ever worked with on staff. Um, because the previous church, it was a female that was the leader of music. And so, uh, so, um, and so, uh, uh, and I was always glad when I knew that, that my music minister and my, pian my piano player went home together at the end of the day. That was always, uh, it's not, sometimes that's controversial in churches. Thank God it's not here. <laughs> so what I want you guys to do is I want you guys, y'all stay up here because uh, I want people to just be able to come by and have a minute to bless you guys uh, and, and celebrate you guys. And so I want folks to come up here and greet them. We'll be at the back door like normal. Chris, you can come up here and, and stand with them as well as folks come by. You're, I'd love for you to do that as well. Uh, and so we just want to be a blessing to you. And just give us a notice when you're going on the trip. Don't just leave. Let us know when you're going. So, um, uh, but we appreciate you guys, and it's an honor to serve with you, and it's an honor every Sunday for you to lead us in worship. We're, we're delighted that you guys are part of this family. So, uh, Daniel, where are you? Where's Daniel? Come on up, Daniel. Dismiss us. Uh, have our benediction. We're going to stand together. You guys come by and bless Curtis and Ann. Oh. All right, now let's stand together. All right, let's pray together. Uh, dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for another 
beautiful day that you've given us to come here and to worship you, Lord. We thank you for uh, Brian's words today and the message that he delivered. Lord, we also thank you for Curtis and Ann. Uh, we're celebrating the 15 years that they've been with us. Uh, continue to bless their lives as they continue to bless ours. Now, please be with us as we go through this week. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.